Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for this evening came from Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. I noticed as I was reading that, some folks were um, mouthing along. If you have been a lifetime or maybe just a long time Lutheran, you might recognize those words as part of our traditional liturgy. And it's, it's a part that is a song sung in confession of our sins. These words were written by King David in the depths of sorrow and shame over his own sinfulness. If you know the story of his life, there was a time in which, and I won't go into it today, but some very gross public sins uh, were exposed. And he wrote this as he was overcome with the guilt of that sin. That said, it may be that these words are so familiar to us that they roll over us without much effect. I thought tonight we could slow down, spend a moment reflecting on them. Maybe we can even pray them honestly and with hopeful expectation. Earlier this week, uh, I don't remember which day, but earlier this week I was joking with somebody that... um, that we might have a high turnout tonight because Lutherans like to feel guilty. (laughs) Thank you for laughing. Um, I meant it as a joke, but I do think there's a kernel of truth in there. You know, uh, a lot of, maybe most American churches don't observe Lent. Or many even don't even observe Ash Wednesday. I would hazard a guess there's a lot more people who know what Mardi Gras is than Ash Wednesday, which is weird because Mardi Gras is just the day before Ash Wednesday. Of course, we Lutherans, well, we certainly know about these things. Many of us are eager to get the ashes smudged on our foreheads. Apparently, so that the whole world can see that, 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 that they're a sinner who is keenly aware of their own mortality. I mean, what else, what else does this mean? Um, well, I suppose for some it's a kind of witnessing, you know. But if you don't think through what these ashes are meant to symbolize, then it's just, it's just another form of virtue signaling. It's a way of saying, you know, I belong to the traditional, traditional church club. The, these ashes on your forehead, they're meant to be a symbol of mourning. It's the sort of thing that the Old Testament people did um, when they were in the depths of despair. They would, they would take off their normal clothes and they'd put on like burlap sacks that were just itchy and miserable. And then they'd go out and they'd sit in dust and ash And what they were doing is it was an outward way of conveying the misery that they had on the inside. It was a physical way for them to plead for God's mercy on them. 
you came forward, and as I smudged that cross on your forehead, I said, ashes to ashes and dust to dust. The point of those words is to remind you that you are mortal, that the wages of sin is death, and that fact applies not just generally, it applies to you personally. But I hope, as in all things, that these words will help you look past yourself to see God's hand. From dust you have come, and to dust you will return. Well, we tend to focus on the second half of that sentence to the exclusion of the first. We tend to focus on the to dust you shall return. But what if we didn't? What if we were more balanced? What if, in fact, the end of that sentence drives us back to the beginning? To dust you will return, that sounds pretty grim. But what does it mean that from dust you have come? It's a reference to Genesis, right? The Genesis story tells us that God formed man from the dust of the ground and then he breathed life into him. God took the dry, lifeless dust and imbued it with life. No one can do that but him. And if he did it once... He can do it again. On a day like this, when we seriously ponder our sinfulness and the, the weight of that sin, I want to let you know that God's desire for you is not that you despair. What he wants for you is repentance. Right? Repentance is a change of heart and mind. He doesn't want you to wallow in the dirt. What he wants is to take away your filthy, broken heart. And as the psalmist said, create in you a clean heart. He doesn't desire to compound your guilt or to drive you to depression. He wants to restore to you the joy of his salvation. Now, it is right that we should take some time to reflect and even mourn over our sinfulness. After all, our sin grieves God. Although, perhaps not for the reasons that we usually think. Perhaps we think God is upset over our sin because it means that we're disobedient. Right? Maybe we even think that it, our sin hurts his heart because it demonstrates our lack of love for him. And those are both true, but I don't think that those hit the root of the issue. Do you know why sin grieves God? Sin grieves God's heart because sin is hurtful to the people around you, but even more so because it's hurtful to you. He doesn't want to see you hurt. When we chase joy by, let's say, seizing what isn't ours. When we chase joy by desiring what God has not given us, our joy actually just slips farther away. When we lie or mock or slander other people so that we can be seen more favorably, 
Well, what's happening there is that you are bit by bit being changed into a liar, a mocker, and a slanderer. Bit by bit, your sins gnaw away at the life that God has for you. And denial won't fix it. Avoidance won't fix it. What you need is a heart transplant. You need God to remove your sinful heart and to create in you a clean heart. Praise God that he is the kind of God who takes ash and dust and forms it into something beautiful. He's the kind of God who breathes his very own spirit into that which is dead and makes it alive. We have a God of creation and a God of resurrection. Although you may have said or sung the words of this song dozens of times, maybe hundreds of times, although we've said it a lot, maybe you have serious doubts that God actually will create a clean heart in you. Maybe there's a bit of you that, that thinks, well, I've been carrying around this, this dirty and broken heart this long. What are the chances I get a new one today? Well, by now, I hope that you know that he's able to do it. The God who made everything from nothing, he can do this. And, and we have every reason to believe that he wants to do it. The Bible makes that clear over and over again. So then the only real question is, will he do it? Not can he, not does he want to, but will he do it? Will he trade your broken heart for a new and clean one? Will he take the ashes you have to offer and exchange them for something beautiful? Will he raise to life what's dead inside of you? I can give you an answer real quick. But hearing it from me won't mean nearly as much as finding out for yourself. So let's spend these next 40 days plus Sundays. Let's spend them being honest with ourselves and with God. Let's be candid about our sin and our brokenness and our, and our, our, our grief, but let's not stop at the grief. Let's ask, let's ask for and then expect him to deliver on a clean heart and a right spirit. Let's spend this Lenten journey in the prayerful rediscovery of the joy of his salvation. Let's be intentional in the humble cultivation of a willing spirit. Maybe let's pray about that right now. Dear God, we pray, just like the psalmist said, that you'll create in us a clean heart, renew a right spirit within us, that you would not cast us away or take away your spirit, but rather that you would restore to us joy. And not fleeting, 
temporary joy based on our circumstances or based on our own desires, but rather that you would give to us that eternal joy of your salvation. We pray that you would uphold us with a willing spirit. And Lord, I I must confess, sometimes uh, I don't have a willing spirit. Sometimes I have a very stubborn and unwilling spirit. I pray, Lord, that you'd change that too. As we make this, uh, this journey through Lent, pointed toward Maundy Thursday and Good Friday and, and most especially Easter Sunday, I pray, Lord, that you would work powerfully and meaningfully inside all of us so that by the time we hit Easter Sunday, we are so full of that grace and joy that we have to let it out all over the people around us. Thank you for all that you have done, and thank you for all that you are doing. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.